Welcome to The Essentials, an irregular discussion of challenges facing Canada and the world. Canadians, polite and reasonable, but we also will not be pushed around. Well, I have to say, you're not laughing now, are you? Rising above the noise as we tackle key issues of the day. Uh, how many uh, chimpanzees can dance on the head of a pin? Nobody builds walls better than me. Free speech, human rights, immigration and democracy itself. Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. From Canada's Wild West Coast, it's The Essentials, with Tom Lupton and John Zacks. John, we're here with show number eight, and I can't think of anything that rhymes with eight that we could use to describe what this episode's going to be like. Really, really good. Donald Trump has words for it. <laughs> it's going to be an excellent show. It's going to be the best show ever. Believe me. <laughs> so I was reading an Economist article. It was a couple of years old. But it was a really important article, and it addressed what in the article says is the sentient question of our time. Not the sentient question, the important question of our time. A lot of people say the most important question of our time is going to be what? Climate change is a, is a common theme. Yeah, economics. A lot of people argue that the right. divide between left and right over economics is the most important question. Growing inequality. Sure, whatever it is. But this argument makes a different case. Really an interesting case. It makes the argument for drawbridge up or drawbridge down as it relates to immigration. So immigration, not just refugees, but this overall idea of immigration as the defining question of our time. Yeah, and I think we can lump refugees into that discussion about immigration. But yeah, depending on what your perspectives are with regards to immigration, that's going to direct you in the political discourse way more than it ever used to be, and more importantly, more than any sort of philosophical economic discussion you might have. And so that might dictate how we are going to what... make up our minds about economic issues or or scientific issues or moral issues? I think what it does more than anything else is, depending on how you feel, drawbridge up or drawbridge down, that's going to direct you towards one party on the left or one party on the right. And depending on how strongly you feel about Uh that, how extreme you get there. So the politics that we're going to end up with is going to be a product of how we feel about this issue. Exactly. So why why don't we have a discussion about this? Let's make the case for immigration drawbridge down and then we're going to follow that up in part two of the show with the case for the case for anti-immigration or drawbridge up let's get at her okay let's go with drawbridge up why would any country want to accept immigrants i think we should focus of course on canada we're we're canadian we're doing the show from canada it's maybe an easier case to make in canada being a nation of immigrants Mm -hmm. second biggest country in the world with a relatively small population we're all quite comfortable with immigrants. Most of us are immigrants anyway, um, particularly if our skin is white. Um, and so, yeah, you know, Canadians are on board with immigration by and large. You know, our country in its inception 150, what was it, 151 years ago now, yeah, was 3 million people. And you look at the graph, it's a fairly steady climb. Our, our immigration numbers have been measured. It has been controlled. And while it has led at times to friction in the short term, I think we'd all agree that immigrants have brought to our society important things, resources, skills, labor, all that stuff that we need. Canada's, just as a corollary, uh, excuse me, corollary to that, Canada's birth rate currently 1.6 births per woman. 
you need 2.1 for replacement. So we need immigrants just to stay afloat. And this is true, not just of Canada, but basically all industrialized nations around the world, that as nations get more and more industrialized and education levels rise, what we see is the trending of birth rates going down. And as birth rates go down, like you like you mentioned, if you're not at 2.1 per woman or per person, um, what happens is there's a natural decline in population. So in order to keep population level steady or going up, as seems to be what most countries kind of want to do, gradually creep forward, yeah. immigration is absolutely critical. And, and for Canada, that is, it's really true. And I think as a nation, we've benefited tremendously from immigration. Now, maybe in part two, we need to address some of the whys of this question, but it is fascinating to look at these fertility rate charts and birth rate charts you know, Canada 1.6, as we said, the lowest countries in the world are what 1.3, 1.4. And, and that's almost across the developed world, the, the North, the West, Europe, North America, we're all in that neighborhood of 1.6, 1.8 births per woman. It slowly goes up as you go into the developing world, and then you hit sub-Saharan Africa, and almost exclusively these nations are at what, four, five, six births per woman still steadily decreasing now, but still very, very high. Yeah, and, and the important piece about that is generally it's the education of women, which is the deciding factor on yeah. birth rate. As women get better educated and have things like careers, for instance, they tend not to want to be saddled with eight children, ten children. As well, modern medicine means that you don't need to get pregnant ten times in order to have four kids. Right. So the, the, again, lots of factors to help determine that, but the simple fact of the matter is Canada's population decreases without immigration. Immigration helps us. Yes, and just to point out, yeah, immigration uh, immigrants to Canada are coming from all over the world, of course. Now there's going to be more of a pressing need from this countries where populations are swelling as opposed to these developed richer nations where people are not, you know, scrambling to get out of, where the population isn't overburdened. Um, but that's maybe more for part two of the show, I guess. Yeah, and it's interesting to th that idea that immigrants are coming from different nations. Traditionally, can immigrants to Canada a century and a half ago from Britain, from the mother country. Not so much in the 21st century. In fact, the top two nations of immigrants to Canada, India and China respectively, uh, certainly not people from the mother country. And that actually will play into part two of the show when we talk about what some of their resistance to immigrants might be. Mm -hmm. When we look at immigration as this great separating issue between left-wing and right-wing, or I'm not even sure left-wing and right-wing is the correct term to use, but when we look at immigration as the are you drawbridge up or drawbridge down, the drawbridge downers, the people who accept or want immigrants into their countries, the most important argument that they make to support their position of drawbridge down is the economic argument, John. That tends to be what historically has been the argument politicians tend to cling to on any issue, but no question with immigration, it's the kind of governing factor here. And, and it's an easy case to make, particularly in a place like Canada. Uh, we have done well off the backs of refugees, off their labor. Um, in 2010, Canada accepted 280,000 refugees. Um, 67%, two-thirds of those were economic immigrants. You can, you can divide immigrants into different categories, um, but yes, clearly, particularly when you look at economic immigrants, they are a net 
positive on society. Our official culture is multiculturalism, so we're able to, you know, assimilate them culturally, but economically, it's an easy argument to make. And that argument also applies to refugees, importantly, Tom. Um, refugees tend to struggle for the first 10 or 20 years, maybe for a generation after arriving in the country. But after that point, they are right on par with economic immigrants and maybe even on par with or ahead of Canadians who've been here for a generation or two. Important to note that because of our immigration policy of points and things, when immigrants do come to Canada, generally speaking, they're filling positions that need to be filled in the country. Mm -hmm. They're providing skills that the country needs, that they're doing the kinds of jobs that Canada needs in order to continue to move forward. So the economic argument is very solid in terms of immigrants, for sure. And we have a pretty robust policy where they have to earn points on their, you know, immigration, you know, application where you, you know, your age is taken into account, your health, seed money you have, education levels and all that stuff. And the same thing, like I said, just to dwell on that point I made about refugees uh, a minute ago, Tom, an internal immigration document uh, document showed 25 years after arriving in the country, a typical refugee earns as much or more than the Canadian average of about 45000 a year. And unlike temporary workers, this is a key thing to point out, most refugees are keeping the money they make in our society. They're not sending it back home. And the same would apply to economic immigrants. Refugees coming to this country, immigrants coming to this country, are coming here because, by and large, the overwhelming majority are here because they want to be here and they want to contribute to the country. Yeah, you're going to get some people who are going to try and use citizenship or, or permanent residency as some sort of bizarre tax grab, but really, those are red herrings. There's such a minuscule uh, percentage of the people that come to this country that it's not even an, a policy that is or an argument that that has any um, that, that has any merit in in my opinion, and I think that's true of um, when we look at Canadians and how they feel about immigration. Mm-hmm. An Angus Reid poll from 2016 says that 79 percent of Canadians believe that the immigration policy should be based on the country's economic and labor needs, and, and I think. That is the policy of Canada. Yeah, we do provide we do provide asylum for refugees because it's an ethical and moral obligation uh, of the nation. But Canada's policy on immigration, I I think, mimics that of what Canadians believe immigration should be, and that's to help the country. And now to flip as we slowly move forward towards the cultural side of it, I think most Canadians. It's a little more controversial, but most Canadians do like immigration. We are a multicultural society, which most of us have embraced, and we are not opposed to the idea of having people of different faiths, of different skin colors, of different ethnicities surrounding us, you know, with their kids in schools, with our cool, uh, with our kids and all that stuff. So culturally, mostly we're on board. There are some issues there, and we'll get to that in, in part two of the show. And that's true of our friends to the south as well. The United States, yes. by and large, despite what we may think uh, of, of our friends to the south, most Americans agree that immigration helps their nations, and it helps their communities, and that diversity is a good thing. And I think that is true around the world, and it's most true of young people, millennials. That's a segment of the population that has really embraced this notion of immigration. So John, based on what we've said so far, a pretty compelling argument for drawbridge down. 
There has to be an argument for drawbridge up, though. Well, there is. We're seeing it all over the world, particularly in North America, okay, Europe. A lot of uh, political parties gaining strength because of this issue. It is, as you said, referencing that uh, Economist article from a couple years ago, becoming one of these defining issues of our time. I agree. So what are the arguments against immigration for drawbridge going back up? It's important, John, that we make sure that we don't categorize drawbridge up as right-wingers because on the left wing as well, mm-hmm. both sides of the, of the uh, political fence, there's the argument to be made for drawbridge up. Uh, drawbridge up on the left side would see drawbridge down as, uh, draw, sorry, it would see a rejection of immigration as a combatant against the globalization of the world. And, and on the right wing side, maybe you see it as a protection of culture. So this is not a right wing, left wing issue. This is an issue that splits people. And another issue that I know I might be stealing your thunder because you were about to make this case. There is racism at play for people who want to raise the drawbridge, but not all of them. In fact, probably a minority of them. Some people who don't want immigrants coming in or too many immigrants coming in are racists, but not by any means all of them. Yeah, and I think, John, we're going to stay away from the discussion about racism because I think you and I would both agree that the racist argument has no merit and we're not going to give it any sort of airtime on this show. But there are compelling reasons to support this side of the argument for sure. So what are the arguments then that aren't based in race? Well, it's sort of an emotional appeal. Like when we think about immigrants uh, coming into countries and refugees coming into countries, people respond to things with the with um, the rhetorical appeals. With, with logic, you see the economic argument, but there's also ethos, which is the emotional appeal. And I think there was a great article uh, that I mentioned right off the top in The Economist, and the author points to this idea that People see their cultures or feel about their cultures the same way that they might about their spouse or about their children. They don't necessarily think their spouse or their child is better than anyone else's, but it's their spouse and their child. And damn it if it's not the most important thing in the world to them. So when they see especially large groups come in and change that culture in a perceived quick manner... It, it gets people's backs up. It gets people very defensive. And people aren't necessarily wrong to be defensive about culture institutions they value, languages they've grown up with and see not being as prevalent, you know, um, schools, sports, changing, all these things. A, a lot of these concerns maybe are anecdotal. Well, there was one, you know, immigrant, one refugee who went on a crime spree. See, we shouldn't let in refugees and, and we can dismiss these anecdotal you know, points, but there can be sometimes points to be made too, where culturally these people don't fit if they're unwilling to assimilate to our, you know, norms of our society. And the drawbridge up argument is often a response to quick measures. Mm -hmm. So when the Syrian refugee crisis erupted several years ago now, and all of a sudden Germany announced it was going to take in half a million refugees, the response from a lot of people who were otherwise moderate thinking people was immediately to be defensive because what they see is, for lack of a better term, an attack on their culture. And this is an expression that Donald Trump will use when he talks about the caravan coming up to the border. He describes it as an invasion. And And when this terminology is used, of course, people see it as this existential crisis that refugees are going to come into this country that we hold dear and love, and they're going to change it so that we don't even recognize our communities anymore. They're making an economic argument as well. Of course, we're not even taking care of our own you know, kids or our own poor people. Why should we worry about poor people from the other side of this line? I question that because I think that 
we could be doing more for the poor and the victimized people in the own side of our, our own side of our line. We just choose not to. Um, but that is a compelling argument. And it's a compelling argument, especially with regards to refugees. Yes. And refugees, where are they coming from? Well, a lot of them, unfortunately, are coming from countries that are Islamic. And in the news, every time you turn on the TV, there's someone reporting about an Islamic terrorist attack going on somewhere. And there's no coincidence that the, the, when we look at the stats about when people began to have clothe, drawbridge up sentiments with regards to immigration and refugees, it coincided with an increase in Islamic-based terrorist attacks on the Western world. Not exclusively, of course. You look at what's happening in the U.S., there's a lot of reticence to allowing Latin American, Central American immigrants coming in. They're coming from very violent places. Honduras, El Salvador, struggling with huge crime rates. But people don't want, A, that problem being brought up to our country. And B, hey, here's a compelling argument, Tom. Whether it's Latin America, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's Northern Africa, maybe they're saying, you know what, particularly for you young men, I don't blame you for coming here wanting a better life, but maybe you should be staying and fighting for your country. Maybe you're obligated to do that. And that brings up another question, this idea of chain migration. When we think about the idea of immigration coming in, yeah, we've got a point system, and we're going to bring you in because what you can do for our country is will benefit all of us. I'm 22 years old. I got a great education. I'm a non-smoker. I've got money in the bank. Boom. You love me, right? That's right. You're going to do a job that we need someone doing. You're going to pay taxes. You're going to be gainfully employed but then there's chain migration. Supposed to be called family reunification right, officially, right. Tom, but <laughs> opponents of it call it chain migration. And that is a legitimate concern, isn't it? We like bringing in young, talented people, educated people into our country. Do we want them bringing in their grandparents? Not necessarily if those grandparents are going to be a burden on our system, even if it's going to make these people's lives richer, happier, healthier. And we see chain migration, that's the expression that they use, uh, coming into the country and changing these communities. And that's the thing that really, as I mentioned earlier, is probably the, th the thing that drives resentment the most. Uh, it, it, whether it's you look down the street and all of a sudden you don't recognize your neighbors anymore. Um, maybe there is a racist element to that. Maybe it's about changing cultures. I mean, even in Victoria, just recently, a debate over whether or not Christmas lights should be funded by the city. And it's actually caused tremendous uproar in the community, where some people say basically that this is how immigrants have come to Victoria, British Columbia, and have changed the culture. And there's, the, re resistance comes from there. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, the, these immigrants aren't all coming from, you know, the same place that we seem to be resident to accept them from. Yeah, and let's, let's be clear that we're providing a devil's advocate approach in this discussion, but we're trying to highlight what are the arguments that people are making on both sides. <laughs> separate camps. Is there room for this camp, the drawbridge up, drawbridge down camps? Is it possible for them to find some middle ground? And I also wonder to add to that, is there such thing as a moderate in this debate? And that's a that's almost a tough one to figure out. If you are a moderate when it comes to immigration, you're saying, well, I guess, yes, we should have controlled, you know, reasonable immigration. But that's kind of what proponents are saying too, aren't they? And you're playing a little bit of God in that that circumstance as well, you're sort of 
kind of deciding which people qualify to have a good life and which ones you're going to send back. Mm-hmm. It becomes a really interesting ethical discussion as well, which is something we haven't brought, broached a lot on this show. Absolutely. So this idea of finding a common ground between these two t- two sides or trying to reconcile, it, this is maybe why this is such a pressing question. Um, Hillary Clinton was in Europe o- over the past couple of weeks People might have seen this in the news, and she was trying to press centrist and left-wing governments to control their immigration in a very kind of you know smart way. The idea being, if you don't get this issue under control and show people, make sure that the public perception is on board that you are controlling it, then everyone's going to vote for right-wing authoritarians. You are going to get the Trump effect in Europe, and that's what she was trying to avoid. And because it's become such an emotional, hot topic issue, it becomes the issue whereby that's the decision that that controls your vote. Which party speaks to you with regards to immigration? And if that if the party doesn't speak to you on immigration, you're not listening to anything else after that. Well, and and for that matter, Marine Le Pen, who's one of the more f- proponents of of this nationalism, you know, close borders, draw bridge up. What else does she stand for? I, I'm not sure. I know. She has. She famously says, she, she describes a globalist is the opposite term for a patriot. Therefore, if you're a patriot of your country, if you love your country, you must close your borders. That's mm-hmm. her argument. I don't agree with the argument, right. but it's an argument that certainly has resonance in a lot of places. And Emmanuel Macron was tackling that issue in the past couple of weeks too, wasn't he? Trying to define those terms and show that they're not necessarily uh, synonyms, um, but. But, you know, if you are Syriza, if you're the Front National in France, where do you stand on, you know, judicial rights? Where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on certain economic issues that we haven't... All we hear about from Marine Le Pen is close the borders, right? Absolutely, and it's become the, the single biggest issue with regards to Angela Merkel in Germany. Right. Like her, her decision to allow the refugees in has, it's, it's going to cost her her job, and it's actually destabilized the government tremendously. So the, cons- and, and Brexit vote, I mean, oh. was it all about immigrants? No, not even close, Tom, but that was probably the, the biggest factor. It was the single biggest factor, and I know from speaking with my own family back in Britain that, this image, this, and we spoke about the glow of nostalgia that we're going to make England great again, which really, I think, was an anachronism. I think what they meant to say was we're going to make England white again. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think immigration and this idea of controlling borders becomes the single biggest issue for Brexit. And John, it's not going away anytime soon. I don't see, though, a lot of positive room for common ground between these two sides. I, I mean, Maybe I'm torturing the metaphor, but how does a drawbridge go half down? You are either allowing in immigrants or you're not. And even if you're allowing them in, you're doing it in a controlled way. I mean, you say, well, let's compromise, let in some immigrants for the right uh, reasons, let in some refugees when, you know, the situation calls for it. Isn't that the argument the drawbridge downers are making? It is, and <laughs> maybe our listeners out there can offer us some wisdom here. But I love it, it. Yeah, it'd be great because it is a, it's such a difficult conversation to have. And you're right, the, if we use that metaphor of drawbridge up, drawbridge down, like how do you get in? You pull vault in, in which case then you're mixing metaphors all over the place, aren't you? Mm-hmm. But like I said earlier, it's not going away though. So what does the future hold for us? And obviously this is going to be a topic for another show, but what is the future going to hold for us with regards to immigration, refugees? What do you see, John? 
what do I see? Okay, well, it gets harder. That's not maybe a huge un- insight. We get rising inequality, economic uncertainty, climate change continuing. This problem gets worse with every year. So, okay, yes, personally, Tom, I lean towards keeping the drawbridge open in a smart way, in a regulated well- way. I think you do too. So let's maybe finish by taking on a hard one. Five, ten years from now, Canada's cooking at 40 or 50 million people. Maybe there's a summer we're struggling struggling economically, there's more low oil prices, we're being torched by wildfires, and suddenly the shock hits, right? It doesn't have to be in our neighborhood. That just makes it harder to say no. Don't forget, talk all you want about the flood of Syrian refugees heading into Europe that people are clamoring about. Many more refugees have been taken in by places like Jordan or Lebanon in this you know, current crisis. So what if it's 200 million people in the Bay of Bengal or closer to home, some natural disaster in Central America? Mexico alone has 130 million people. Maybe there's even an act of war in the U.S., a Russian attack on the electrical grid or whatever it is. Hundreds of millions of heavily armed people now living in martial law, swarming towards our border. That's way, way harder, right? It hasn't been a big challenge for us taking in Syrian refugees. It's only been tens of thousands. What happens when it's millions? That is harder, Tom. I don't, still don't think much changes. You have an adult, intelligent, measured conversation and response. But what if they're coming anyway? What if they swarm? What if Donald Trump was right and he's just ahead of the curve building a wall? The idea that Donald Trump would be ahead of the curve on anything <laughs> is terrifying. But, like he says in the intro, nobody builds walls better than him. Thanks again for listening to this latest episode of The Essentials Podcast. No matter where you find yourself on this issue, drawbridge up or drawbridge down, as long as you can remember that we're dealing with human beings who are just like you and I, then I think no matter what kind of conversation you have, it'll come from the right place. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. For diamond deserts And all around me A voice was calling It said this land was made for you and me Well, this land is your land This land